welcome to the Park Road Podcast for September 27th, 2015. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jackstein at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon today is entitled, The Power of a Little Kryptonite. I did not grow up reading comic books and loving superheroes, but it's not possible to live here and completely escape our cultural icon, the legendary Man of Steel. Though he was originally conceived as a telepathic villain bent on world domination, after he was introduced in a short story by Jerry Siegel in 1933, his image was reformed. And he made his debut with Action Comics in 1938, born as Kal-El on the planet Krypton. He was rocketed to Earth to save him from the imminent destruction of his home planet. He landed in Kansas. He was discovered and adopted by parents who raised him with a strong moral bearing. But the mild-mannered Clark Kent was just an alter ego for the iconic caped crusader, nemesis of all evil villains, faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, it's Superman. He had superhuman powers, but when planet Krypton was destroyed, mineral debris was transformed into a radioactive element, and the crystallized form of this material a green-colored ore called kryptonite had the ironic attribute of nullifying Superman's powers of immobilizing him. Like Samson's hair or Achilles' heel, though Krypton was elemental to Superman's native planet, this green glowing rock was his downfall. It had the power to stop the world's greatest superhero in its tracks. A little kryptonite goes a long way. Now maybe lifelong DC Comics groupies would know the answer to this, and you can tell me after the sermon if you do, but my research did not reveal to me why Jerry Siegel named Superman's planetary home Krypton. Do you know why? Tell me if you do later. But you can be sure that Siegel did not just make up this name for no good reason. Just as all of the characters in the Harry Potter books have names that are derived symbolically, you can be sure that Krypton for Jerry Siegel meant something. Why was Kryptonite Superman's great downfall? Now I have a hypothesis. And if I'm not right, Siegel will have missed a wonderful opportunity to introduce some theological innuendo into his universal spiritual story of the great battle between good and evil. The Greek word meaning hidden is krupton. And the Greek letter upsilon, the U, is transliterated in English by the letter Y. So krypton in Greek becomes krypton in English. You can hear this in the cognate word cryptic. If someone speaks cryptically, their speech is vague, 
usually intentionally hidden. They speak so as to hide the meaning of their words from obvious understanding. There is power in that which is hidden. So maybe deep within his own superhuman atoms was also the potential for Superman's own downfall. It's our story. Like the little girl that I told you about two weeks ago who was petrified by her own shadow, it's part of who we are. The shadow side, the kryptonite that is made of the same elements that form us. Light and darkness are part of us. As Luther said, we are simultaneously saint and sinner. The battle of good and evil which Superman fought so dramatically on the outside was being waged just as powerfully within. That mystery is hidden within our bones. Now that's just my theory, but it forms the basis of the central question of today's sermon. Jesus had taught the people about God's kingdom by telling them a parable, which is a story with truth thrown alongside. Para, alongside. Balo is the word to throw. It's a story with truth thrown alongside. But when the crowds went away, his friends who had not understood his cryptic, heuristic mythology, I mean his unclear teaching style, you can laugh at that, that's okay. They asked him what it meant. He was speaking cryptically. And Jesus' response to them is one of the most enigmatic in all of Scripture. One of the hardest things Jesus ever said, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. Now maybe they felt important. Maybe they felt powerful having been given the secret of the kingdom, even if they didn't understand it. But Jesus said, for those outside, everything comes in parables in order that they may look but not perceive and may listen but not understand so that they may not turn again and be forgiven. Wow. And sometimes you accuse me of preaching sermons that you don't understand. So here's the basic question. Why is this stuff so hard? Why is this stuff so hard? And how could that be good news? If it's such good news, shouldn't we just blurt it out so everybody could understand it? Make it as easy as possible? Shouldn't we? Or should we? Now let's be clear that despite what Jesus says here about speaking so that they may not understand, Jesus wants people to understand the kingdom of God. Mark says this is the very reason Jesus came out to preach the good news. The kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus' truth, this news which is the best news there is, has been revealed, has been made known or it will be. Later in this chapter, Mark has Jesus make this fact crystal clear when Jesus says, For there is nothing hidden, krupton. There is nothing hidden except to be disclosed, nor is anything secret except to come to light. That's the point. 
What is hidden has to come to light. But how? How will it come to light? Jesus says, let anyone who has ears hear. And then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. The measure that you give will be the measure that you get. Ever heard anybody say, you get out of something what you put in it? Nothing is hidden except to be disclosed, but the measure you give will be the measure you get. Apparently, life's greatest truths, life's deepest meaning cannot be spoon-fed to anyone. And if it is, we should question whether it's truth to begin with, or we should question the motives and examine the ego of the one doing the spoon-feeding. Life-size questions do not come with bumper sticker size answers. Someone told me about his father, who used to drive him crazy, he said, when he was in school. If he was doing his homework, reading, and he came across a word he didn't know, he would ask his father, what does heuristic mean? Russ just used that word. What does heuristic mean? His father knew. He knew his father knew the meaning of all those words, but his father would never tell him the answer. Instead, his father would say, there's a dictionary on my desk. Go look it up for yourself. It was the same every single time. Look it up for yourself. His father would say, if I tell you, you won't remember it. But if you look it up for yourself, you might. Look it up. For yourself. The measure you give will be the measure you get. Nothing is hidden except to be disclosed by looking it up for yourself. We want everything easy, don't we? I appreciate Dan's time before our confession. We want everything easy. And maybe we have been conditioned to that by such an incredible world of instant gratification. All the food we can imagine, and most of the world's people could not even imagine it. Our family in Clinton, South Carolina can't even imagine it when they come to Harris Teeter. All this food we have, all on the shelves, can you imagine all that variety? No planting, no weeding, no watering, no harvesting. Just pick up what you want. It's easy. We have entertainment on demand. Museums and theaters and professional sports venues, one of the world's best artificial water, whitewater parks. We don't want to work hard enough to drive up the mountain, hike down the valley, towed in the boat to the rapids, so we've just built one. It's conveniently located off I-85. The boat is already in the water for you. After a trip through the rapids, a giant escalator will carry you back up to the top so you can do it all over again. I'm not kidding if you've not been out there. You don't have to lift a hand. Get in the boat, go down the rapids, get on the escalator, go back up. Enjoy yourself. We have climate controls at the touch of a button. Someone told me recently that there is no need of experts in the world anymore. You know, it used to be important that you knew somebody who was really smart, who was an expert so that when you had a question about what a word meant or what, you know, 
some of those hard questions in life, there was somebody you could go to to get an answer, or he could at least point you in the right direction. But Google has put an end to the need for the expert. Anything you need to know, I mean almost literally anything you need to know is under your thumbs. It's absolutely amazing what you can find in an instant with Google. You don't have to go to school, just Google it. I don't do much bemoaning of culture, decrying the world going to hell in a handbasket and all that stuff, but I do hope We have not set our children up for failure, having been given so much ourselves and being determined to make their lives even easier. Have we made it all too easy? What about faith? Just make it fun. Just make it fun for the children. In a recent interview for Sun Magazine, the reporter asked Barbara Kingsolver about perseverance. How do you nurture people to work hard enough? How do you do that with your own children? I think we all need to hear that popular writer's response to that question. There's something I have said so often to my children, she said, that they now chant it back to me. You can do hard things. There's this myth that self-esteem comes from making everything easy for your children and making sure they never fail. If they never encounter hardship or conflict, the logic goes, they'll never have to feel bad about themselves. Well, that's ridiculous. It's not even a human life. Kids learn self-esteem from mastering difficult tasks. It's as simple as that. Put your two-year-old on a stool and give her the bread, give her the peanut butter and a blunt knife and let her make that sandwich and get peanut butter all over the place. Because when she is done, she will feel like a million bucks. Raising children became mostly a matter of enabling them and standing back and watching. When a task was difficult, that's when I would tell them, You can do hard things. Frederick Buechner has said, Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. You can do hard things. Because in a world of beautiful and terrible things, faith will stand the test of time. But not easy faith. Faith will stand the test of time, but not easy answers. C.S. Lewis said, it is not good asking for a simple religion. After all, real things are not simple. True meaning can only be found if it is mine through the personal experience, not given in easy sermons, packaged platitudes, chicken soup for the lazy soul. Jesus always spoke in parables, cryptically. He never one time preached three points and a poem in a sermon. He never said, I want to make faith relevant to you, so write down these four things. He never turned faith into a self-help seminar. 
By the way Jesus taught and by the way he lived and died, he said to us, this is hard stuff. Life, relationships, God, faith, hard stuff. The best Jesus could do, the best Jesus could do was to paint a picture and invite us to interpret it. To tell a story and hope we could find ourselves in it. The K medal from Krypton is a 1940s story by Jerry Siegel that was never published. In that story, he introduced a prototype of kryptonite that drains Superman of his strength while giving humans superhuman power. It might be Superman's downfall, but Superman is not real. The hidden truth, a little kryptonite, has the power to take us human beings all the way through the deepest, darkest valley if we're willing to do the hard work to find it. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.